Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Tesla's third quarter 2022 Q&A webcast. My name is Martin Vieca, VP of Investor Relations, and I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q3 results were announced at about 3 p.m. Central Time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During the call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the Q&A session portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please use the raise hand button to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Thank you, Martin. So just to do a Q3 recap, uh, <clears throat> Q3 was another record quarter on many levels. Uh, our, uh, we had our industry-leading operating margin reach 17%, uh, and our free cash flow surpassed $3 billion in Q3 and approached $9 billion in the past 12 months. As our factories ramp, we're looking forward to a record-breaking Q- Q4. Um, so it really, you know, knock on wood, it looks looks like we'll have an, an epic uh, end, of, end of year. So Q4 is looking extremely good. Uh, on the production ramp, uh, Giga Berlin achieved another milestone of 2,000 cars made in a week um, at, at, with very good quality and um, uh, is, is ramping rapidly. Um, Giga Austin or Giga Texas should reach this milestone very soon. Uh, and, and in fact, just yesterday, we extrapolated yesterday's hold rate, it would be 2,000. Um, our production of 4680 cells has tripled in Q3 compared to the previous quarter. Uh, we are finally gaining rapid traction on the 4680 cell, um, and um, its output is growing uh, rapidly, and we expect it to start incorporating cars and having it be uh, a significant portion of our uh, production here in Texas uh, in the coming months. We also have our second generation of manufacturing equipment for 4680 cells in Texas, uh, which continues to show great progress along with our original pilot line, Fremont. The Fremont uh, factory team once again reached record production in Q3, and we intend to keep uh, raising production in Fremont. Regarding autopilot, at the end of at the end of September, we hosted our second AI day and uh, took the first prototype of our Optimus robot the latest updates on our Dojo training computer and uh, a wide range of improvements of full self-driving software. Our vehicles have now driven nearly 60 miles in full self-driving beta mode, and this number continues to grow exponentially. Our goal with that AI day was to was recruiting, and we've seen a massive influx of world-class artificial intelligence engineer um, and scientist uh, resume. So uh, it generated a tremendous amount of interest from some of the, the best AI researchers in the world. I can't emphasize the importance of this enough um, because I think it finally has become clear to the smartest AI technologists in the world that Tesla is among the very best. So, um, and at this, this quarter, we expect to go to a wide release of full self-driving beta uh, in North America. So uh, anyone who has ordered a full self-driving beta or full self-driving will 
have access to the FSD beta program this year, um, probably about a month from now. So, and then obviously any new car, new, anyone who buys a car and, and purchases, purchases the full self driving option will immediately have that available to them. So the, the safety that we're seeing when the car is in FSD mode is actually significantly greater than, than the safety we're seeing than what, when it is not, which is the key threshold for going to a wide beta. Let's see, with respect to demand, um, we've, got, we've got a lot of questions about demand in recent weeks. Um, I, I can't emphasize enough, we, we have excellent demand uh, for Q4, and we expect to sell uh, every car that we make for as, as far into the future as we can see. So the factories are running at full speed, and we're delivering every car we make and keeping operating margins strong. We're still a very small percentage of, of the total vehicles on the road. Of the 2 billion cars and trucks on the road, we only have about 3.5 million. So we've got a long way to go to even reach 1% of the global fleet. Um, <clears throat> let's see. <laughs> Based on my, um, uh, what people are, based on, on, on many things, but uh, Certainly, um, questions I get on Twitter uh, about buybacks, and I think, I think every one of our board members has gotten questions about buybacks. Um, um, the, we've debated the buyback uh, idea extensively at the board level. Um, the board uh, generally thinks that it makes sense to do a buyback, uh, but we want to work, uh, work through the, the right process to, to do a buyback. Uh, but it is certainly possible for us to do a buyback on the order of five to ten billion dollars, um, uh, even in the downside scenario uh, next year. Even if, even if next year is um, is a very difficult year, we still have the ability to do a five to ten billion dollar buyback. Um, this is obviously pending uh, board review and approval. So. Um, it's, it's likely that we'll do some some meaningful buyback. So in conclusion, while the market themes revolve around the short term, it's very important to focus on the long term. Um, I can't emphasize this enough with uh, investors, and I think long long time investors obviously recognize this with, with Tesla. We have your sort of local ups and downs, but the long term trend has been extremely good. And several years ago, I said, um, I think on an earnings, on an earnings call, that, I, that I, I thought it was possible for Tesla to be worth more than Apple, which was then the highest market cap company, I think, on the market. And Apple at the time, I think, was around $700 billion. And I said it required incredible execution, at least some luck. And we didn't even indeed achieve that. Tesla went, in fact, far past uh, Apple's market cap time. Um, and um, and now I'm of the opinion that we can far exceed Apple's current market cap. In fact, I, I see a potential path for Tesla to be worth more than Apple. 
and Saudi Aramco combined. So now that doesn't mean it will happen uh, or, or that will be easy. In fact, I think it will be very difficult to require a lot of work, some very creative new products, um, tremendous expansion, um, and always some luck. But, but for the first time, I am seeing, I, I see a way for, for Tesla to be let's say roughly twice the value of Saudi Aramco. And I think that's, I, I haven't, I haven't quite seen that yet. I mean, I, this is the first time I've seen, seen that potential. So, I mean, we have an incredible product portfolio. I think we've got the most exciting product portfolio of any company on earth. Um, some of which you've heard about, some of which you haven't. Um, we're in the, the, the final uh, lap for Cybertruck. Um, we're building the Cybertruck line here at uh, Giga Texas Austin. And um, making a lot of progress in the RoboTaxi platform design. And, um, oh, and then with, yeah, uh, with respect to uh, Batteries, we're moving as fast as possible to have, to, to achieve 1,000 gigawatt hours a year of production capacity in the United States. Uh, vertically integrated. So anode, cathode, lithium refining. Um, we're moving at a top speed to, to do that. So I think it's an incredibly exciting future um, and really an unprecedented future. Um, but none of this would be possible without the incredible team that we have here at Tesla. Um, so I'd like to give a, a huge shout out to all of our factory employees, uh, engineers, executives, and the, the whole Tesla team. You guys rock. Uh, you're, you're the ones making it happen. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. And Zach is our opening remarks as well. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Um, just to continue on Elon's theme, I just want to thank and congratulate the Tesla team for achieving record vehicle deliveries, production, and storage deployments in the third quarter. On automotive profitability, our gap operating margin was 17.2%, with automotive gross margin at 27.9%. Operating margin is one of our best yet, with improvements in operating leverage. However, Austin and Berlin ramp costs weighed on our margins, particularly if you compare it to Q1. Removing regulatory credits and Austin and Berlin, our operating margins would have been our strongest yet, and auto gross margin would have been nearly 30%. Note that while small and growing, each car we build in Austin and Berlin is contributing positively to profitability. We also continue to experience margin headwinds associated with macroeconomic conditions, as we've discussed at length on prior calls. In particular, raw materials, logistics, uh, and foreign exchange was a big part of this past quarter. On energy profitability, we achieved our strongest gross profit yet for this business, driven primarily by record volumes of our Megapack and Powerwall products. 
Our free cash flows were also a record despite an increase in cars in transit at the end of the quarter, which has a negative impact on working capital. Specifically on cars in transit, as noted in our press release on October 2nd, we've started to experience limits on outbound logistics capacity, which we didn't anticipate. This issue is particularly present for ships from Shanghai to Europe and local trucking within certain parts of the US and Europe. Our historical operating pattern of batch building by delivery region leads to extreme concentrations of outbound logistics needs in the final weeks of each quarter. Just to put this in perspective, roughly two-thirds of our Q3 deliveries occurred in September and one-third in the final two weeks. As a result, we've begun to smooth regional builds throughout the quarter to reduce our peak needs for outbound logistics. We expect this to simplify our operations, reduce costs, and improve the experience of our customers. As we look ahead, our plans show that we're on track for the 50% annual growth in production this year, although we are tracking supply chain risks, which are beyond our control. On the delivery side, we do expect to be just under 50% growth due to an increase in the cars in transit at the end of the year, as noted just above. This means that again, you should expect a gap between production and deliveries in Q4, and those cars in transit will be delivered shortly to their customers upon arrival to their destination in Q1. Austin and Berlin ramp costs will continue to weigh on margins, although we expect the impact to be less than what we saw in Q3. And as Elon mentioned, we are continuing to build as many cars as possible while also maintaining strong operating margins. Thank you. Thank you very much. And let's go first through the shareholder questions. The first shareholder question is, Given the stringent battery content and assembly requirements for consumer tax credit eligibility under the Inflation Reduction Act, can you speak to Tesla's ability to meet those thresholds in each of 2023, 2024, and 2025 with your existing and planned supply chain? Well, yeah, I mean, I think just at a high level, I'll say we do expect to fully meet the um, IRA's requirements. Yeah, you know, we view the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act as a significant boost towards accelerating our mission, while also scaling the battery supply chain at large in the United States. We expect Treasury to publish detailed guidance by the end of the year. Until such time, it's difficult to fully determine the eligibility criteria, but we believe Tesla is very well positioned to capture a significant share of that for solar storage and also electric vehicles. Yeah, like I said, we're, we're, like I said, like I said earlier, we're, we're going to go basically pedal to the metal. Uh, as fast as humanly possible to get to 1,000 gigawatt, gigawatt hours a year of production in the U.S. Uh, vertically integrated. Thank you. Uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, the next question is, what updates can you offer on the backlog and recent order intake trends, especially outside of the U.S. and especially in China? Um, well, it's... Uh, There's, there's definitely, you know, China is uh, experiencing um, a of a recession of sorts, uh, which is property market, simply from a property market mostly. Um, and Europe has a recession of sorts uh, driven by energy. The U.S. actually isn't pretty good. North, North America is in pretty good health, um, although the Fed is raising interest rates more than they should, but I think they'll eventually realize that and bring it back down again. Um, so, you know, demand is 
a little harder than it would otherwise be. But as I said earlier, um, we um, are extremely confident of the great Q4, um, and we uh, anticipate continuing to grow uh, our our vehicle production sales deliveries by, uh, on average, 50% a year as far into the future as we can see. Thank you. Actually, actually one caveat, I should say, for, uh, growing production by 50% every year because deliveries, we're trying to smooth out the deliveries and, and not um, have this crazy delivery wave at the end of every quarter. So, um, and in fact, we were just fundamentally running out of, uh, there weren't enough boats, there weren't enough trains, there weren't enough car carriers to actually support the wave because it got too big. So whether we, whether we like it or not, we actually have to smooth out the delivery of cars into a quarter because there just aren't enough uh, transportation uh, objects to move them around. Thank you. The next question is, do you still expect 50% annualized growth uh, for the foreseeable future? Is this also true specifically for the Chinese domestic market? Do you expect uh, <coughs> to need to cut vehicle prices or offer incentives in any market to sustain the demand? <coughs> or has demand remained stable? Or is it even rising? <laughs> Quite a few questions there. <laughs> well, like I said, we want to sort of focus at a high level on what we think is possible here. We, to the best of our knowledge, we believe that Tesla will continue to grow uh, deliveries and revenue production at a 50% or greater compound annual growth rate. Um, it might occasionally be a year that is a little less, and then some years will be maybe a little more or a lot more. Um, in some of our out-year planning, we see potential annual growth rates that are in excess of 50%. Thank you. The next question is, can you tell us more about the product feature roadmap beyond new models and FSP, and especially for interior and powertrain of existing vehicle models? No. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could, but who wants? <laughs> Sorry, guys. We, we, can't, we, we can't, like, jump the gun on future product announcements. Committed to continuous improvement. Yeah, we obviously are continuing. Yeah. We're just, obviously, yeah. Tesla's. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. But we'll also be committed to continuous improvement. <laughs> yeah, um, at Tesla, we've always been committed to continuous improvement. So, um, as friends of mine ask me, like, when should I buy a car? I'm like, now, because we just keep improving the cars. Uh, always the, the latest Tesla. Yeah, that's the latest Tesla. Um, and I really, yeah, the, the, the new, you know, every, time, every, every now and again, we do have some, you know, big technology upgrade like Plaid. Um, and by the way, I think the Plaid model S and X are just the, the best cars on earth. Best, there's, there's nothing even close to my opinion. Um, just try one. Yeah. Epic. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, uh, we keep hearing of dire energy crisis in Germany this winter. What are Tesla's plans to com combat power cuts, and will there be any delays in ramp-up in production from Giga Berlin because of this? Yeah, I can take that. <laughs> um, I think two points on this question. Uh, the, the first is that uh, 
you know, based upon everything that we know, we don't see this as a large risk to the company. Um, you know, even if production down, did go down for a period of time, this is all near term. It doesn't have any impact on the long term of the company. But we don't. We're not. We have no indication whatsoever None. that we will have to cut our production at Germany. No. And we put in place backup plans, and we're working through the supply chain as well. Um, nearly all of our suppliers are prepared as well. So it, we'll see how this plays out, but it's not something that we're terribly worried about. Thank you. And the next question is, how is production planning going for the Cybertruck? What is the initial phase one production target? When can we expect an update on pricing and final design? Yeah, I mean, we've, as, as Elon said earlier, we'd be on product, uh, facilities preparations here in Giga Texas for Cybertruck. Um, we're still on track to enter uh, early production in the middle of next year. We've started our um, beta builds uh, of all of the battery, battery, and existing. Lars, when can I drop my beta? In a few weeks. Okay, great. Um, thank, you. thank you. And that's, that's going well. Um, and, uh, you know, we continue ramping up through the end of next year and in, into 2023. Good. Yeah, the car's going to be sick. And sick. That's going to be a Hall of Famer next level. Sorry, sorry it took it longer than expected. But, you know, there were a few things that got in the way, like, Insane global supply chain shortages and pandemics. Yeah, sure. Most of if there ever was one. All right. Thank you. Of course, it tells a semi, of course. Yeah. So, so we'll be handing over our first production test of semis to Pepsi on December first. I'll be there in person, and we'll be begin ramping up production of the Tesla semi, which is a Max load heavy, heavy, heavy truck. Yeah, that's a class A truck. Class A truck. No sacrifice to cargo capacity. Yeah, no sacrifice. Exactly. No sacrifice. Very important. No sacrifice to cargo capacity. 500 mile range. I'm sorry. Just be clear. Okay. 500 miles with the cargo. Yeah, 500 miles with the cargo yeah, on, on level ground. Yeah, fair. You know, <laughs> so, not 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 up. You know, close. Um, but the point is, it's a long range truck. And, and even with heavy cargo. Um, and the number of times people told me, oh, you, you can't, it's impossible to make a long-range, uh, heavy-duty Class A truck. Um, and then I asked, well, well, what are your assumptions about what hours per gram and what hours per mile? And they would look at me with a blank stare and then say hydrogen. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, that's not the answer. I was looking for numbers. Um, <laughs> and <look at> me. <laughs> that's, that's not a number. There's an element on the periodic table. Um, anyway, you obviously don't need hydrogen for heavy trucking. That's what we're trying to make here. Um, and we'll be ramping up uh, semi-production through next year. Uh, as, as, you know, like everyone knows at this point, uh, it takes you know, about a year to ramp up production. So we expect to see significant um we're, we're tentatively aiming for 50,000 units in 2024 for um, Tesla Semi in, in North America. And, and uh, obviously we'll expand beyond North America. Um, and and th these would sell, well, I don't say with sacrifices, but they're much more than a passenger vehicle. So <laughs> the 50,000 uh, heavy trucks of this nature would be worth several um, model lines. Thank you. 
the next question is, what is the progress of the 4680 cell ramp, and what factors determine whether vehicles get 2170s versus 4680 cells, and how will that change in the next year? Um, yeah, ramp is going well, as Elon said. Uh, total output is up 3x quarter over quarter, um, and production is tracking to exceed 1,000 car sets per week this quarter, as we said uh, last quarter. Um, our focus is now shifting from 100% ramp to cost and further expanding production capacity in North America, uh, as Elon also mentioned. On the 2170 versus 4680 um, in our factories, we, we really attempt to minimize factory complexity and product changeover while still making sure we get enough new product into the field to learn how it is performing. Um, and that, that, that sort of mix is going to shift as uh, 4680 scales here and the overall factory ramp uh, proceeds in Texas. Right. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, 4680 ramp is growing exponentially. Uh, and um, yeah, it's going well. It's looking good. This, this, this yeah. is going to be a very major factor in the future. There are a lot of packs upset. Yes. Um, like I said, we're, our, our goal is to strive towards 1,000 gigawatt hours a year of annualized production in the United States alone. Tesla, not including suppliers. Suppliers would be on top of that. We need to get 300 to 400 terawatt hours built to accomplish our goal. Yeah, this is roughly <laughs> to transition Earth to sustainable energy. Our rough calculation um, to, for both uh, stationary and vehicles um, is 300 to 400,000 gigawatt hours, or three to 400 terawatt hours. So when you're like, one terawatt sounds like a lot. Well, it's a lot of terawatt hours to go. <laughs> yeah, that's just that on the, on the cathode side, the, um, this would, the, the main cathode we think would probably be uh, iron um, and um, uh, mostly iron, because iron, iron can scale to very, very high tonnage. And, um, and then some, some nickel, the exact percentages are hard to figure out, but it's, it's probably, probably at least twice as much uh, iron cathode as, as nickel, um, maybe more. And uh, and then this the manganese wild card as well. Does that sound right to you? Yep. Okay. And on that note, we're pursuing aggressively North American iron cathode supplies. Yeah. Um, and have, yeah, we can talk more about that at a future date. Thank you. The, the next question is on the semi-track, which we already addressed, uh, so I'm going to skip to the next one. Um, can you talk about um, how Tesla could adjust if we were to enter a prolonged recession, including new pro product prioritization, investment flexibility, new factory versus factory expansion, service support infrastructure, productivity cost measures, and demand stimu stimulation alternatives? Well, to be frank, um, we're going pedal to the metal, um, come rain or shine. So uh, we are not uh, re re uh, reducing our production in any meaningful way, uh, recession or not recession. So um, it's the one percent point you made. Yeah, we're, exactly. So, so the, the, I think the public at large realizes that the world's moving towards electric vehicles, and that it's foolish to actually. Uh, buy a new uh, gasoline car at this point because the residual value of that gasoline car is going to be very low. So 
Um, so I think we're, we're having to be in a very good spot. Um, I don't want to say it's recession-proof, but it's certainly recession-resilient. Um, because basically the, the Earth has – the people of Earth have large part made the decision to move away from gasoline cars to electric cars. Um, and then we're in transitioning electricity uh, generation to uh, sustainable, you need solar and wind with a stationary battery pack to buffer the, the, the power. So you have 24-7 power because the wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine all the time. So that also is we, – we can't – we actually um, see the, the energy storage business, stationary storage, growing more like, I don't know, 150 to 200% a year. The faster than cars by a lot. Sorry, just to add, um, before you jump in, Martin, I mean, just to echo Elon's point, I, mean, I think, um, you know, where our cash balance is, what our forecasted cash generation is, where our margins are as a company, I mean, we can withstand um, quite a lot of downside before we would have to dig into our capital plans, supercharger expansion, product lineup. So, you know, the, the business has done quite well over the last handful of quarters. And this is a real opportunity, I think, for the company to press forward in the most aggressive way, as Elon has mentioned. Yeah, I mean, we try to model out, like, let's say 2023 is a, is a brutal recession year. Um, even then, we generate meaningful cash. Once you get out of that, Okay, thank you very much. And let's go to the last um, investor question, which is the progression from Tesla's first platform with SMX to the second platform with 3 and Y led to 50% reduction in cost of goods sold. What do you see Tesla's third platform being released and what level of cost of goods sold reduction could you achieve? Well, we don't talk exact, exact dates. Um, but this is uh, a, the, the, I mean, the, the primary focus of our new vehicle development team, obviously. But, yeah, we, we've, we're at this point, we've done the engineering for Cybertruck and for Semi. And um, so it's obviously, I guess, what, I, what we're working on, which is the next generation vehicle, which will be about half the cost of the three-wide the three platform. It'll be smaller. To be fair, um, but uh, it, it, it will, I think, swiftly become, uh, swiftly exceed the production of all our other vehicles combined. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to take everything we learned from SX, 3Y, Cybertruck, and Semi, and pour it into that platform. But we, as you've said to us many times, we're on a two for one target. So, yeah, you know, that implies that. that, that Trying to get to that 50% number again. Yeah. That is exactly, it's, it's, it's like, what would it take to, if that's exactly what we're trying to figure out, how, 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 how do we make two cars for the amount of effort that we currently takes us to make one Model 3? Yeah, effort costs, yeah. Perform, uh, efficiency, yeah, all those things. Half the loss, half the cost, half the factory floor space. Twice the output. And we do believe 
but this can be done. Yeah. Um, okay, by the way, I, I should mention that when I said that probably that, that I see a path, again, extreme, very difficult path, incredible execution required, massive amount of hard work and some luck to get to where Tesla is worth as much as uh, Apple and uh, Saudi Arabia combined. Um, I wasn't including Optimus. Thank you. Um, let's go to analyst questions next. The first question comes from Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley. Adam, go, go ahead and unmute. Great. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, Elon, would you consider vertically integrating into mining? That's my first question. Um, we'll do whatever we have to. Whatever, uh, whatever the limiting factor is, we'll do. We, we, we do not uh, um, artificially constrain ourselves. Um, we, we, we don't vertically integrate just for the hell of vertically integrating. Like if there if there's a great supplier who's better than us, or we think at least very good, um, or even where the economics of comparative advantage suggests that we should use that supplier, even if we could beat them, but we could use our resources to do something else that, that would be more productive, then 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 we then we won't uh, insource in that case. Um, but but if if we have if we have to go mine, uh, we will mine. Okay, thanks, Elon. My follow-up is, you know, one terawatt hour of manufacturing in the United States, vertically integrated. Um, I guess my question is, what what would need to change with U.S. permitting laws to allow that? Kind of, what would be your message to this administration or next? And do you think you could do a terawatt hour? What's the going price of that? Can you do that for under a hundred billion bucks in the states? Thanks. Well, I think that the message to the government would be that there should be, I should say, we've actually had uh, conversations with a number of the senior government leaders, um, White House, Congress, and, and whatnot. And uh, um, and the, the suggestion that we have is that there should be an expedited permitting pro uh, process for anything which is critical to a sustainable energy future. So it doesn't make sense to put, like, a coal mine and a you know, sustainable energy battery, like lithium mine in the same category. You know, coal does not have a future, lithium does. And by the way, you can extract lithium with almost no disturbance uh, to the local environment. So it's it's not like some ugly, nasty mine situation. Um, so, uh, so I would recommend expedited permitting would, would really be helpful. Um, uh, basically, yeah, fast-track environmentally, um, I think, besides fast-track things that are important for the environment and the and humanity's future on Earth. That seems logical. Um, and the reception has been positive, so we'll see if, if something happens uh, with that. Um, I think... Probably on this end, it's cool. We're not ready to get into financial details of, of the what it would take to get there, but what we are seeing is um, radical improvements as we redesign the the, the, you know, the whole supply chain and all of the elements that go into um, battery cell. Uh, we're, we're, we're figuring out dramatic uh, efficiencies. 
Um, and I think we'll, um, the net result of which would be that the uh, capital required to achieve that, that level of output will be much less than what people think. Thank you very much. Now let's go to the next question from Colin Langan from Wells Fargo. Colin, go ahead and unmute. Colin, can you click unmute? Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay, sorry about that. Um, any update on full self-driving? I think you had said a couple quarters ago it would be available by the end of the year. Is that still possible? Is it would it still be like a level four or level five that you're talking about? And are there any sort of regulatory hurdles you'd have to think about? We, as said earlier, we're expecting to release the full self-driving software to anyone who orders the package um, for the end of this year. Um, it's a separate matter as to will it have regulatory approval. It, it won't have regulatory approval at that time. Um, but, um, the, but the car will be able to take you from your home to your work, your friend's house, to, to the grocery store, um, without you touching the wheel. So it's looking very good. And it, it would mean like level four, level five kind of traditional definition you're talking about? Um, well, there's... There's a debate as like what's the what are the interventions per mile and all those maybe the safety interventions per mile. Um, like we're not, we're not saying that that's it's, that's quite ready to, to have no one behind the wheel. Um, it's just that there will you will almost never have to touch the, the control the vehicle controls. Um, so like when I came to Giga Texas today. Uh, from um, friend's house, but I never touched any of the controls all the way in here. Um, and then, and then it, it, there, there is a longer process of like what's called the march of nines of like how many nines for liability do you need before uh, you could you could really be comfortable saying uh, that the car could drive with no one in it. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's some subjectivity as to how many nines you need, uh, but well, I think we'll be pretty close to uh, having enough nines that you can have no one in the car by the end of this year. Um, and uh, certainly without, without question whatsoever in my mind um, next year. But I think we'll also have enough data next year to be able to Assure to regulators that uh, the car is safer, much safer than the average human. God. Um, and just as a follow-up, uh, you mentioned in the prior questions about IRA. I mean, it sounded like you thought you could get. Can you get all of it? I mean, because my interpretation is like the production credits, battery component credits for buyers seems very likely for you guys. Is the sourcing part of it possible? Because uh, that seems like a pretty tough hurdle given how much has to be sourced from the U.S. Yeah. So we have a cross-functional team that's looking very closely at it. As you mentioned, the sourcing threshold increases by the year. 
so we're, we're looking at all options uh, and, and also getting some clarification from Treasury. Uh, that's, it's important to say that's only a fraction of the other credits. We do manufacture ourselves in the U.S. We manufacture the modules uh, in the U.S., so that, that's pretty free and clear. Uh, so, yes, we, we feel confident that uh, we'll have a path as these incentives, uh, as, the, as the threshold sort of increases by the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll meet those thresholds. Thank you. Uh, the next question comes from Colin Rush from Oppenheimer. Colin, please go ahead and, um, and unmute yourself. Um, thanks so much, guys. You know, the, the operating leverage has been pretty impressive here, and, and I'm curious about um, areas where you could, you know, invest in, in an incremental way, whether it's on the R&D side or on the sales side to accelerate growth or cost reduction, or should we be thinking about this this level of spend on a go-forward basis um, and some significant operating leverage as you scale up from here? Yeah, I mean, our operating leverage has improved quite a bit. It's the lowest this quarter, I think, ever, yeah. and by a decent amount. Our OPEX has a percentage of revenue. I mean, our forecast is that it will keep reducing. I mean, I think the way to think about it is, you know, our, our total amount of operating expenses will slowly pick up as the company grows. It's very hard to keep it flat with the rapid growth of the company, but it's growing much slower. So some amount of growth there, but the top line of the business is growing so quickly. So um, I think there continues to be enormous opportunity to improve the overhead efficiency of the business, and we're seeing it. Yeah. All right, great, guys. I'll, I'll take the rest of that offline. Uh, yeah, but like, like um, we, we are in the, the at least for, for now, um, um, quite quite like good position of, of we're investing in everything we can think of to possibly invest in, and we're still generating cash. So, because it's a pretty good place to be. I mean, how many R&D programs are we running in parallel right now? Uh, you know, uh, People don't even know all, all the R&D stuff we're doing. Okay. You know, there are some of it, but a bunch of it, right? I also, we did. I also don't think cash is a, is, is a good gauge of how much R&D you're No, it, it, it isn't. It's like this, like, it's, it's not like, it's, it's, it's not like engineers are not just, they're not generic. Um, so it's just like, oh, if you spend, you know, uh, $5 billion or $10 billion, that will, like, that, that your actual R&D or intense useful product ship, ship will be proportioned to that. It's just not true. Um, engineers aren't, aren't coming up with some assembly line like, you know, like cookies or something. Until we get Optimus coming. Yeah, Optimus, they'll change things. Um, <laughs> what matters is where are the most brilliant people working? Um, and Tesla remains the um, – Tesla and SpaceX are two companies where the smartest engineers want to work. I mean, like, we don't have to spend billions of dollars to, to you know, invest in the future and invent the future. Engineers are also cost-conscious, and we don't so just burn money out the window when we're trying to do R&D. So I, I, I would stop looking at, like, R&D as a cash investment for how yeah. much we like, like, one nickel of Tesla is, is frankly worth an infinite number of, of, of dollars of, of engineers. Well, 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 you can have, like, a, like almost an infinite number of, of good engineers. Um, and they would not be able to do what one Nikola Tesla could do. You can't make it up in volume. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next question uh, from George at Kennecords. 
George, go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, I think it was at your annual shareholders event where Elon mentioned that the prices of many of the materials used in your production have started to come off the boil. Now, if that continues, does that give you an opportunity to adjust prices globally after several increases? Thanks. Well, we're, we're looking at the prices of at our prices uh, closely. I mean, obviously, anyone can just Google what the price of uh, you know the future price of copper or steel is going to be. It's just like one Google search away, um, and and everyone can see that the like, commodities look on a go forward basis. Um, are uh, it's on a dropping uh, line, but uh, it, in electric vehicles, <laughs> um, things like um, battery grade lithium are still crazy expensive. So we've got a mixture of things, that, things where prices dropping and things where prices are increasing. But, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I would say quarter of quarter, you know, steel, aluminum has dropped anywhere yeah. between seventeen to twenty percent at the same time on the on the Side. The cost of shipping has come down tremendously. Yeah. yeah. Like last year, the cost of a container on the spot market from Shanghai got as high as twenty thousand wow. dollars. And now it's thirty five, thirty six hundred dollars. So yeah. It's come back to reality. Yeah. So we're seeing deflation on a lot of commodities, with a few exceptions, as yeah. you mentioned on batteries. Yes, there's more more deflation than, than inflation. Um, Definitely. And again, this is publicly available information. Anyone can just go with. Um, and I think uh, Kathy Wood at Archivest is. Um, I make this point over and over again <laughs> um, to the Fed, and the Fed is not listening because <laughs> they're looking at the rearview mirror instead of looking out the front windshield. Yeah, um, just add a little bit more context. So, you know, commodity increases were the highest in Q3 that we've seen over the last two years. And so, you know, when indexes change, it does take time before they flip. Yeah, there's latency. There's latency. This is why I say the the best decisions make sense if you're looking up through through the rearview mirror, but not if you look out the front windshield. (laughs) And if you look out the front windshield. Yeah, and so what, at least of what we know so far, the peak uh, on the commodity side in Q3, I say peak, hopefully it stays the peak, Hopefully, it starts to come down. You know, that there is a small amount of reduction that we're seeing going into our Q4 cost structure, you know, from steel and aluminum primarily. But it, it's less than 10% of the total increases we've seen so far. So, um, you know, we're optimistic here based upon what we're seeing on the indexes for some of our cost structure that this will start to come in over time. But I, I just want to set expectations that there's not some some windfall of cost reduction in this space coming in Q4. Maybe some as we go into next year. Yeah, and we'll probably see some cost reduction in 2023. I'd be surprised if we did not. And just as a follow-up, um, you know, this is for Elon with your pending acquisition of Twitter and your stakes in you know in SpaceX and Neuralink and Tesla. How much uh, would the combined companies benefit from operating under a single superstructure, if at all? It's not clear to me what the overlap is. Um, it's not zero, but it's. I think we're reaching. Um, I'm, I'm not Warren Buffett. I'm not an, I'm not an investor. Uh, I, I am an engineer and manufacturing person and a technologist. So... Um, you know, I actually work and 
design and develop products. <laughs> That's what I do. So it's not a but we're not going to have have a short portfolio sort of investments or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't see an obvious sort of uh, where 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 some where they could get combined under an umbrella at least right now. Um, so um, I'm excited about the Twitter situation because I obviously I know that part incredibly well. Um, and I think it's a, it's an asset that has um, been uh, has sort of languished um, for a long time, but has incredible potential. Um, although, obviously, um, myself and the other investors are obviously overpaying for Twitter right now. Um, the long-term potential for Twitter, in my view, is an order of magnitude greater than its current value. Thank you. Let's go to the next question from Pierre Ferragou from New Street Research. Pierre, go ahead, please, and unmute. Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me, guys? Sorry. Yeah, here now. Um, great. Um, I, um, I'd love to, to have another update on, uh, on 4680, uh, Drew. So last time we talked about it, um, there were was question it was question about like you know scaling out manufacturing and there, there were still a, a few things to get right. Is it fair to say that now you are at scale and it's just a question of logistics to to get bigger? Uh, so that's question number one. And then question number two on the kind of like innovation and cost reduction and efficiency improvements kind of um, uh, path that you described at the battery day. Um, uh, you know, where that are we today and how much time is it going to take to, to deliver, you know, all the potential you, uh, you outlined then? Well, I'll take the second question first. Uh, at Battery Day, we showed a timeline out to 2026 uh, for all of the ideas we had proposed and had, you know, shared with, with, with everybody then. And uh, Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think we'll do better than that. Yeah, I mean, but but just like that's the rough. Just giving you all, you know, yeah. it, like it's on that order. It's not like a month. It's not six months. It's it's years. And um, we are executing on all of those different ideas pretty aggressively in parallel with the opex that some people think isn't enough, but we're getting it done. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm not turning down POs, you know. No, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Or great talent. Like we yeah, find awesome absolutely. engineers, we bring them on into the company, um, and and people shouldn't believe we are turning people away. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard problem, but we're solving it. And I, I think um, you know, we still feel confident that the 4680 will be yes the most competitive battery cell in the world. And it's the whole system around it, right? It's not necessarily the specific form factor. It's the attention to detail on how to bring costs out of the manufacturing process, how to remove processing steps. And all, all the way down, you know, from the mine to the cell. Yeah, exactly. Many steps along the way. Yeah, and, you know, for those who watch the YouTube videos, like our on-site cathode facilities coming together, um, really excited about that, which is a part of the plan that we discussed on Battery Day. Yeah, um, but, but it, you know, we're also building a lithium refinery. 
in Corpus Christi. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're making, you know, um, putting our money where our mouths are <laughs> and all the various efforts that we discussed on Battery Day. On, on the technical challenges and, and, and the ramp question, which is your first question on 4680, look, no ramp is ever easy, even at the end when you're 80% to the end. Like, it, it's still very challenging to get to the end. And that, that sort of leaning out of yields, the final cycle time, you know, to achieve target. Um, uh, you mentioned logistics. It's not something that we're specifically focused on, I guess, but eventually could be a problem as we're talking about hundreds of, of gigawatt hours at different sites across the United States. Um, but but I, I would never sit here and say we have no challenges uh, remaining, but, but we've made a lot of progress reducing technical risk in many areas. Uh, cycle times have dramatically improved. Yield has dramatically improved. Um, and the, you know, just, just walking the line here in Texas, you know, like Martin was walking it yesterday, made some comments to me. Uh, you, you really see the, the acceleration around you. Um, and we've made a ton of simplifications moving from, um, the Fremont factory to, to Texas and it is coming to play in speed of ramp here. Um, and, and of course that's, that's on, that's on one line of many here in Texas. So it's, it's not like factory to factory. It's, it's, it's a multiplication of both simplicity and scale. So uh, yeah, we're we're excited about where it's headed. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know once once we are fully integrated, um, I think we we still do see a path uh, to hold a roughly seventy dollar kilowatt hour cell, so so seventy dollars per kilowatt hour cell. So. Yeah. Before before any incentive. Before incentive. Before incentive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And the next question comes from Tony Sakanagi from Bernstein. Tony, go ahead and unmute yourself, please. Uh, yes, thank you. I just wanted to follow up on the 4680 cells um, and where we are seeing them deployed today. So are, are those in the semis that are being delivered on December 1st? Are we seeing them in Model Ys that are being produced uh, out of Austin? And is do you anticipate 4680 being a gating factor for Cybertruck ramp later this year, and how do you balance the need for 4680 across semi-Cybertruck and potentially Model Y in 2023? And I have a follow-up, please. Wow, okay. Well, the, the, a semi doesn't use 4680s. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we, we are making uh, Model Ys. Um, some of the Model Ys coming out of Giga Texas are uh, 4680. Um, and I think Drew, the car you drive around is 4680. Yep. 1,000 miles. 10,000 miles. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, no problems yet. Yeah. Structural pack. Structural pack. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, our, our, and our output of 4680 is growing exponentially. So, um, but it's worth bearing in mind that like, there are, are entire highly competitive companies that are very smart that all they do is make battery cells. This is this is simply one segment of Tesla. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's not a total working plot. No, there's there there aren't there are challenges still ahead that we have not yet surpassed, no doubt. We don't anticipate this being any limiting factor for Cybertruck or anything else. Okay, thank you. And the last question comes from William Stein from Truist. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself, please. 
Uh, great. Thanks for taking my question. I guess I'll go at one that I asked last time, uh, Elon, which is uh, your expectation for the likelihood of commercial success in each of the three major AI endeavors, um, you know, FSD, in, you know, sort of as imagined without a driver, um, the training computer, and, uh, and of course, Optimus. Uh, will achieve full self-driving, full autonomy. My um, quality of that occurring is 100%. Um, and I think I think we'll, you know, we're almost there. Um, and then, of course, we got to prove it to regulators and get the regulatory approvals, which is outside of our control. Um, but uh, I mean, anyone who's driving full self-driving, who's as the full self-driving beta in the car can see the rate of improvement. Um, they, they, you just experience for yourself that we are in fact getting there. In fact, we almost are there. Um, and uh, so anyway, probably achieving that 100%. Um, the Optimus uh, probably of that being a successful product, I think also extremely high. Um, you know, given enough time, 100%. Uh, Dojo, um, it's maybe more, more of a question mark around Dojo of, like, can we be competitive with um, NVIDIA GPUs, even as NVIDIA continues to rapidly evolve their GPUs? Um, so as it, the jury's out on Dojo. Dojo team thinks they can um, uh, outperform NVIDIA for neural net training. Um, if the jury's out, and we'll probably, you know, I don't know, next year, if that's, uh, if, if, if that's true or not. But we, th we think we'll probably, we think it's, this is the architecture of Dojo has, uh, is, is the right architecture to win. You know, it depends on how well we execute within that architecture. Thank you very much. Um, I think, unfortunately, is all the time that we have today. So thank you so much for your great questions and look forward to talking to you in about three months from now. Thank you and have a good day. Thanks, everyone.